the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli, and I am Chip Patterson, and we're here. It's a Mailbag Monday. Uh, got a lot to get to, and of course, if you want to submit your question for a Mailbag Monday episode, you can do that by going to wherever you get the Cover 3 podcast. Leave us a five-star rating, a review. You can say something nice. You can say something friendly. We love all the nice comments, but then also include your question for the Mailbag. It'll get added to the Mailbag doc, and it will be addressed in a Mailbag Monday uh, so, gentlemen, how are we feeling? Uh, we've got a lot to get to. In, in addition to your questions, some some uh, Chad Morris Arkansas discussions as Morris was fired on Sunday. Uh, how are we feeling as we are sitting here? Happy Veterans Day! It's eleven eleven. Happy Veterans Day! I, uh, as I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, I'm I'm warming up because I just came back inside from shoveling the snow for the second time today on November eleventh. Uh, yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh that's the life you chose man that's the life you <laughs> chose born here <laughs> we got houses down here 60 yeah, degrees where i am give it give it like three more years <laughs> barton how are you doing uh i'm great man i'm ready for uh ready for a mailbag monday this was a this was a uh it's a long weekend on a lot of fronts and so i'm ready to turn the page to a great new week of football. Let's do it. Well, let's start with uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks. They did make a uh, decision on Sunday to... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you just call them the Razorbacks? <laughs> did I? I think that's what it sounded like to me. Uh, they, they haven't made it to the SEC championship game since 2006, and so they've been left out in the sun. They are now the Razorbacks. <laughs> In the 13 years that since they've last made it to the SEC championship game, uh, a lot has happened. Listen, this is a program, 0-14 under Chad Morris in SEC play. There was like an 0-13 stretch under Brett Bielema before that. Like This is uh, a, a very, very interesting case of they do have resources. They have invested recently in their facilities, but they are not in a great location, not a very fertile recruiting ground, but they are in a great location uh, in terms of what conference they're in. The decision to part ways with Chad Morris, we even addressed it on the Instant Reaction podcast. Go get it if you haven't already. Uh, the takes are still hot and fresh for you. And I I think that when we we knew that it would be coming. We declared that it would not be worth an emergency podcast because it didn't feel quite like an emergency. So now as we as we begin to dissect 
both where things went 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 wrong and where Arkansas can go from here. Uh, I guess the before we get to specific candidates, in the same way that we were talking about the Florida State job, you know, uh, Barton, where where do you look at the Arkansas job in terms of uh, the hierarchy and its attractiveness to, you know, maybe maybe this isn't uh maybe this is a job that will be able to get the attention of one of those best available or hotter candidates. Like what's, what is the, uh, what kind of hierarchy uh, does the Arkansas job hold in your opinion? Well, wasn't that long ago that Brett Bielema willingly left Wisconsin for Arkansas, uh, chose that job over Wisconsin. And that was at a point where they were having success at Wisconsin. And so I think that that, that is a, is a nice reminder of where this job was not too long ago. Obviously, this is still probably the most competitive, brutal division in college football. You know, maybe the Big Ten East is is, is trying to make a case for it, but I, I think it's still the SEC West. And <clears throat> there's limited state resources, but there is a great fan base. There's... Uh, you know, there, there is infrastructure in place to be successful and you are in an area that can recruit effectively in Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. And so I, I think the question is, is the administration give the, the program the resources to go compete with the likes of Alabama LSU? And does a coach view Arkansas as an opportunity to play on uh, no offense all the other conferences, the biggest stage in the SEC West. Um, and because of those things, I still think it's a pretty attractive job, but it's been, it's lost a little luster. It's lost a little shine over the last few years. And you may have to sort of convince a few guys uh, where you wouldn't have otherwise a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at it from the, every school in the country, this is probably like a top 30 job, definitely top half of the power five. But having said that, it's the fifth best job in its own division at best. And you mentioned, you know, Brett Bielema leaving Wisconsin to go to Arkansas, and that's how desirable it was at the time. But I think time shows that Bielema made a mistake in that choice. And that was really more based on money than it was the job because Bielema had wanted raises for his assistance at Wisconsin for years, and Wisconsin just wasn't giving it to him. So he, he got he kind of got tired of losing his assistance to other jobs, so he took Arkansas because they were willing to pay for it and to pay his assistance. But I just, I mean, if we look at this offseason in particular, Barton went over all the good things about the job and what makes it attractive. And it's, you know, it's like Arkansas is not what anybody would call a fertile recruiting state, but it's in an area, like you said, that has, you know, it can get to Memphis and get to St. Louis and get into Texas and get into, you know, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. It's in that area where it's got access to players and you can bring them in if you have the resources. It's just this offseason, based on things we're hearing now, by the time we finish this podcast, the Rutgers job could be filled. And... If you look at the other Power 5 jobs that are the most likely to be open this winter, it's going to be USC and Florida State. So Arkansas is clearly going to be third on the pecking order amongst those jobs that we know or at least are likely to be open. So I, I don't know if this if they're going to be able to get the candidate that a lot of fans want. I mean, I've already seen, as is typical with an Arkansas coaching search, you've seen people pining for Gus Melzahn, whereas half the fan base 
wants him and half the fan base thinks he's disrespected them. So it'll be just like Houston Nut all over again. But then, so how long will they wait and play that game? If Auburn stumbles down the stretch, will Gus Malzahn be an actual, you know, candidate? Will Mike Norvell be the candidate who's probably the most popular choice, but is Norvell as interested in Arkansas as he might be in Florida State if that job becomes available? So you look at all these situations and you kind of wonder who they're going to end up with. And I think it's interesting because, as Bobby Petrino showed, you can win at Arkansas. But it's also important to point out that the last time Arkansas played in the SEC championship was 2006, which happened to be the last season before that Saban guy came to Alabama. So under in the Nick Saban era, Arkansas hasn't been able to win the West. It hasn't been able to play for SEC titles. So do you accept that there's a ceiling to what you can do and find a coach who might be able to get you to that ceiling? Odds would suggest to me that considering Bielema was winning more games at the end, although he wasn't winning enough in the SEC, I don't know if Arkansas is willing to accept that, but now there's new leadership in charge, so maybe they will be. Maybe they would be happy bringing in somebody like Mike Leach who might not win SEC titles, but would at least, like the Petrino years, make that team fun to watch and make it competitive, which just has not been the case the last few years. And I think at this point, a lot of Arkansas fans are kind of accepting that, whereas it's like, hey, you know, it'd be great to win the SEC all the time or win 10 games and go to major bowls. But frankly, at this point, I would just like to see a decent football team. Yeah, if I'm an Arkansas fan, I'm looking across the SEC, and I kind of think that there's blood in the water. I don't know if I'm willing to accept uh, – I mean – I don't know if I'm willing to accept the idea that, you know, there could be, you know, this is going to be a really slow rebuild and whatever, whoever are higher in the roster. Listen, the, the talent right now on this roster is needs a little bit of help. But I, I think that when you look at where Ole Miss is, when you look at where Mississippi State is right now, uh, you know, you've got the, the Missouri game as your cross division rival. Missouri's in a pretty good place, but I think that Arkansas could close that gap faster than uh, we expect. Even against the a lot of the teams at the bottom of the SEC East, it is it should not. If I'm an Arkansas fan, it should not take a ton to be able to elevate Arkansas out of the depths of the SEC and make it a middle of the pack team that is going to be able to finish in the middle of the division and. Um, you know, at least be able to to be a little bit more respectable against the best teams in the conference. Like Texas A&M, for example. Texas A&M does not look like a program that is set to win SEC championships, but it has right now a very, in my opinion, a very high floor. And I think that with a good hire at this cycle, Arkansas and at the, the Arkansas leadership and the Arkansas fans should expect that if they make the right hire, that they should be able to raise the floor very, very quickly. Because while the SEC is, you know, the greatest college football conference in the country and all that, <laughs> like at the same time, the bottom of the conference is not looking great right now. And that's where, again, I come back to blood in the water that just sort of where things are right now and the ups and downs as programs build, reload, change out head coaches, there is an opportunity, I think, to make a quick jump to the middle. Yeah, I, I think it's – so for a lot of the reasons that we said, like as you look at the, the Candace list, and we can talk about a couple if we want, but I think this feels like a job where like you're not going to lure a sitting Power 5 head coach to Arkansas with the exception of maybe like a Mike Leach who just thinks differently and maybe just wants to get into the SEC and is sick of Pullman. It seemed that way when he was trying to get Tennessee last year. Uh, but like you're not – I mean, you're not getting like Matt Campbell. You know, you're not th- those sort of 
up and comers in the power five ranks, I, I just don't think are going to be attracted by this job. So the, the candidate pool is going to be group of five head coaches. Um, and, and if you want to go the coordinator route, I don't think there's any reason you have to shy away from it when you look at some of the success the coordinators had. Um, so obviously in that power five pool, you know, we're, we're including the, the Gus Malzahn as a candidate, given all the history there. And we're including Mike Leach as a candidate, but then it's Mike Norvell and then it's like Billy Napier. And it's, it's, it's a bunch of guys that, um, we think are good with, but Arkansas folks thought Chad Morris is good too. So it's going to take from Hunter Juracek, the, the athletic director, I think some, uh, some expertise on this. I mean, I, I think you can make a really good hire, but it's going to take, uh, not thinking outside the box, but just being smart about this. And I've said this about the Chad Morris deal, and I've probably said this on the podcast, so forgive me if I'm repeating this, but if you're hiring Chad Morris because he's spread, tempo, modern, offensively, man, like, what what year, what year is this? This is 2019. Everyone is spread, up-tempo, quote, modern. So... I think it's important. Like you are at, you are in a really tough division. You have to hire, like the, you have to think progressively in terms of what a coach is going to bring to this job. And I, I don't think that the last hire thought progressively. It, it got Chad Morris, who was a, who was a early adopter and an early disruptor offensively. But didn't has not evolved significantly, and then they got there's a deep coordinator, a guy that that was was not cutting it really, and was sort of past his prime at Texas A&M, and John Chavis. So it's time to think much more progressively. And and I and frankly, as I think think through this sort of out loud in real time, I'm not sure the Gus Malzahn stuff is going to be that successful with Arkansas roster, and and that doesn't strike me as a as an overly progressive hire either if they were trying to go that route. So I think it's going to be fascinating what they believe is the right approach here to this hiring process. Yeah. And I think something that's going to be important for them too, is whoever they hire, like you mentioned with like, you know, worrying about running a spread, they need to find an identity because you look at what they went under Petrino when they were that, you know, before it had become the thing everybody was doing when they were, you know, four receivers spreading out, throwing the ball all over the place, kind of like a modified air age spread type of deal. And then they make the switch to Brett Bielema's, you know, Wisconsin Big Ten three yards in the cloud of dust offense. And then they make the change back to Chad Morris and we're going to spread and pick up the tempo again. Whatever you do, just pick an identity and try to establish that is what your program is. Because you keep going back and forth like this. You just set yourself back even further because it's like each coach comes in and is inheriting a roster that has absolutely no you know, correlation to what they want to do. And I think that this, I think that that um, lack of identity was like the, Brett Bielema started them down that road because I, I thought when he came in, it was very clear to me what he was trying to be. He was getting big offensive linemen. He was making them the face of the program, it, much in the same way that Mario Cristobal has at Oregon, and they've had a lot of success with it. But then Dan Enos came in as their offensive coordinator, and they they started chucking the ball around, and they lost a lot of that hard nosed identity and it, it really became more of a pass first offense over the tail end of the Brett Bielema tenure mm -hmm. and so I, I feel like 
when they were had success and granted, I mean, he was still, you know, he was inheriting a roster at that point that was, that was relatively healthy, but early in the, t- the Bielema tenure, when they were throwing, you know, tackle screen passes to, or, or was it Sebastian Tritola was like throwing touchdowns yeah. or whatever. Like that was, and like they were putting those guys on the cover of the programs and stuff. Like that was where we were, Arkansas was very clear who they wanted to be. They were committed to it and they were having some success. And then I feel like they got away from that. And then Chad Morris took them further away from that to a place where everyone is now. Like what? Like, well, Alabama can't defend the spread anymore. No, Alabama defends the spread every weekend. It's not like Hugh Freeze is like the only guy in the conference anymore running this RPO stuff. Now everyone's doing it. So where's the advantage here? So I think they've got to figure out how they're going to have an advantage. And because and, and, if you do that, you can build this program out. So we're going to continue to come back to this. We've actually got from the mailbag uh, a couple of questions. We've briefly touched on it, but uh, I want to give these uh, these passionate listeners their shout out here. Should Arkansas woo its favorite son, Gus Malzahn, back home? And who might Auburn target as a potential replacement from Winfrey Jack? I say don't. I say no. No, I wouldn't. I would not. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I mean, think, I think I Auburn feel- is really good right now, not because of Gus Malzahn. I think Auburn is really good right now because of its defense. And if Gus Malzahn in his time leading the Tigers has taken on uh, some new understanding of program building and in the interview process, you believe that he's going to be able to motivate uh, throughout the state and fundraise and be able to p- well put the program in a good position to make that jump that we were talking about, then yeah, but don't hire Gus Malzahn for his offense because in a way that would, that would be like Chad Morris. You're going back to, you're going back to old high school offensive reputation when the rest of college football is caught up. Yeah. And I feel like with Gus, it's like the offensive guru. Well, he got that reputation for one after one season with Cam Newton and then his best teams have always been led by their defense. So I don't know how much of a guru he truly is offensively. And then at the end of the day, too, it's just I, you, you're going to be paying a lot of money for Gus to come. And I just don't know that that's really kind of what Arkansas wants. Well, not the money thing. It's just I don't know what he'd be able to do at Arkansas that is all that much different from what they're doing now because he's not going to have the same kind of reach to the talent that he's able to get at Auburn that he is at Arkansas. I don't because I don't consider Gus to be a magnificent recruiter. I think Auburn to a degree recruits itself. And then on the other side of that, I mean, I I mentioned the Cam Newton thing. I mean, but he didn't develop Cam Newton and who is who's the quarterback that he developed? No, the quarterbacks regressed under him. The the and and I I they're Gus Malzahn to me is a little bit like Kansas hiring less miles. Now, I, th- I think I mean, Kansas, frankly, Les Miles is proving me wrong a little bit, and he's, he's having more success than I expected. But part of that is that he's handed the offensive keys to this former NAIA coach who has, who, and, and they've really taken off offensively. Gus Malzahn's going to run what Gus Malzahn runs. And I, I, I'm just a little skeptical that going and taking over that Arkansas roster is going to, um, is going to find the success within that offense that, that people envision. PJ, who, oh, go ahead. Who would our Auburn hire if, if Gus did leave, though? That's fascinating. 
It'd be I funny mean, if it'd be funny if Arkansas hires Gus Malzahn, Auburn hires Mike Norvell, and then Mike Norvell and Auburn beat Arkansas every right. year. And and that would be two times that mm-hmm. Auburn passed over Mike Norvell because that I think Mike Norvell would be a candidate for Auburn. Mm-hmm. He's a candidate for Florida State. I think that's part of the reason why. Uh, you know, Arkansas might have missed their their chance at Mike Norvell because he might get Florida State. Um, so while, that, yeah. While I think like he wants a Big Ten job and he's waiting for one to come open, I think Auburn is a job that if it wanted Matt Campbell could probably get Matt Campbell too. That's the kind of job that he would leave Iowa State for. He's not going to leave it for Arkansas, right? Or you know, like maybe Matt Rule. I mean, I think I think Auburn could could take a swing at a couple of guys in the power five ranks that I'm just not sure Arkansas has got the clout to pull. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think that would be, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Phalanges asks, it has been rumored that Matt Campbell would be a great fit at a Midwest power like Notre Dame, Ohio state, Penn state, or Michigan. If those jobs became open, what jobs do you see him interested in that might be a tier below that or might not quote fit the Midwest school profile. So we mentioned Auburn there. Is Florida State out of uh, out of the fit and out of what he would desire? Uh, I don't know. I think I think Auburn like makes more sense in my head a little bit. Um, but that does. I mean, I think Matt Campbell can make any job his own. You know, I, I don't think he's he's some. You know, we try to put these people these these coaches in boxes sometimes. And I think it's a little bit of a futile, like, I think it's unnecessary. I mean, these guys can become whatever they want. I mean, Matt Rule and and Baylor is a great example. It doesn't make any sense on the surface. He has no ties to Texas. He's a Northeastern guy. Uh, You know, he goes in there and he hires a couple Texas high school coaches for his staff and he's off and running and it's, and he's having a lot of success. And so I think we just try to envision what makes sense and Matt Campbell makes sense at Michigan state or Notre Dame. But if, if Matt and I hate, uh, 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 I'm sorry if there's a cop out of an answer, but if Matt Campbell wants to be in Florida state, he can make that Florida state job his own. He can make mm-hmm. it, he could, he could, he could build the program around his culture and his identity. And, and, and I think it, we would all be looking back and be like, man, Matt Campbell, what a great fit at Florida state. Yeah, I think I think Matt Campbell would fit anywhere just because Matt Campbell's a good football coach. I just think that if he had his I think like his ideal scenario, like I, I don't know this off any info, but I'll just say for the guy who's from Ohio, who's coached in Ohio and you know, who's been in the Midwest, I feel like Ohio State would be his dream job. But Florida State, if it really wanted Matt Campbell, could probably lure him away from Iowa State. I don't think that you know, I, it also depends what happens. I think because if Michigan State comes open, I think Matt Campbell's a name that Michigan State is not a top tier Power Five program, at least not in the sense that you know, like the Notre Dames and the Ohio States and even the Florida States of the world are. But I think that would be a job that would be appealing to him too, because it's a Big Ten job. It's in the Midwest, so it's interesting. I think Campbell's going to end up somewhere bigger soon, and I know Iowa State fans don't want to hear that, but I I think he's going to leave there at some point, and he's probably going to, you know, it's going to be a big job wherever he ends up going. I think the element of Campbell that. where we talk about fit and, and maybe this is something I, that I sh- shouldn't overlook is the idea that he is a type of coach that will like at Michigan state, you're expected to recruit well, but it's a, like they've built their program on recruiting quote, the right guys. 
mm-hmm. uh, building culture, evaluating toughness, all that stuff. At Florida State, if you are not recruiting highly rated classes, then the pressure really ramps up with your ability to to win quickly. Uh, if you are if you're at Michigan State and you're ranked 30th in the country, people will believe in you a little more and give you some more slack. But Florida State, you get like it's either if you're not rec- recruiting top five classes, you're almost starting starting behind the the eight ball. Mm. We also had some questions from some some Iowa State fans. I will go ahead and consider that. Yes, your coach is probably going to be on everyone's list. We'll see how much he loves Ames. Uh, <laughs> question answered off the lock stock. Musician 0926 asks, which coordinator, which coordinators are most likely to earn a head coaching job for the 2020 season? Are we likely to see a de- decrease in hiring coordinators in favor of older or possibly retired coaches? No. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's – I don't think we're going to see an increase or decrease for either side. I think we're just going to see schools continuing to hire the guys they think – are the right guys for them, whether they're a coordinator or a head coach, because as Barton mentioned, and if you look at like who most of these coaches are that are having a ton of success right now, a lot of them weren't head coaches before they became who they are. Dabo was never a head coach before he took the job at Clemson. Ryan Day, it's still year one, but he hadn't been a head coach at before he became the head coach at Ohio State. So I, I don't think that there's going to be a change in the philosophy. As for who the coordinators are, Maybe this year we won't see as many just because, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, you can correct me here, Barton, but there's not like that hot, you know, slam dunk coordinator that everybody's still talking about. Yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm not, I don't have the AP rankings or the college ball playoff rankings pulled up. I, I do have just my rankings I turn into CBS pulled up and seven, by my count, seven of the top 10 uh, or uh, yeah, seven of the top 10 teams in my ranking the coach that their head coach was an assistant coach prior to getting that job now that includes Ed Ogeron and and Mario Cristobal that had head coaching experience prior but you know Lincoln Riley Kirby Smart Cristobal Dabo uh, Ryan Day I mean you you can be really successful and people shouldn't be scared of making that jump Uh, I think part of the issue this cycle is there's been such a flurry of offensive coordinators that have been sort of the hot names, and now all the offensive coordinators are the head coaches. And I think the one defensive coordinator that's that's sort of on that verge, we talked about it a little before, Jimmy Lake, is very much, I think, on the in the on-deck circle uh, at Washington, <clears throat> their defensive coordinator. I think Mike Elko is, is close. He's probably one year away. He's probably next year. Um, and then there's, there's a handful of others for sure, but – yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Depending on what jobs come open, uh, particularly in the Power Five ranks, like it doesn't feel like there's. I mean, there's the Clemson guys that they, they, they keep on getting mentioned with everything. Um, so I don't know. Maybe those guys are the first ones off the boards. Um, Tony Elliott, Jeff Scott, uh, Brent Venables, but it just feels like Brent Venables isn't going anywhere. Yeah, but if you're Tony Elliott or Jeff Scott, ah, man, I would go. Those guys will, yeah. I, I think those guys will absolutely go for the right for the right job. And that's and that is the uh, that that's you've been going in, you've been soaking up all you've been learning. Like they were 
promoted internally after Chad Morris left. They have they've been a part of it for a long time. So now they get to go do the do the same thing that Kirby Smart and uh, Jeremy Pruitt and everybody else as you get hired away from Alabama staff is come sprinkle some of that Dabo dust, you know, instead of that Saban dust on us. All right. Uh, I don't know how to say this listener's name, but the question is, if the three of you were hanging out in a cabin in the woods, which one of you would go missing and what would be the cause of the disappearance? Is this just like assuming that like the three of us in a cabin in the woods, like wouldn't like use assuming we can't survive <laughs> in a cabin. Like, just, it's just like in like, have like, a, have, a good, have, have a good weekend together. Like just sort of enjoy some camaraderie, play some cards and, drink a few beers and call it a weekend i will say this if any of us would go missing it would be because we got really drunk and just wandered off into the woods and passed out somewhere <laughs> I, I was trying to think who would be the most uh who, who would be the most connected to their cell phone that they would run off looking for service that might be me yeah I a little, little bit of an addiction <laughs> I, was I, I didn't i didn't want to call it out i'm glad that you brought it but I, my, my vote was actually gonna be barton charging off into the woods to look for better reception uh for whatever the communication is or whatever the information that he was trying to get uh and and then that would be the reason yeah i'm yeah. very much addicted to my phone at home but if I have a chance to get away from my phone, I don't have a problem doing so. I think my, my I would be most likely. Maybe this isn't going missing, but I'd probably be the most likely to have my wife call in and say, "Get the hell home now! This, is, <laughs> this has gone on too long. This, this weekend was supposed to be one night. Now it's a four day trip." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, Sorry, honey, we're recording a podcast. I'll be back when we're finished. <laughs> right. Coming up on the other side, more of your questions and our answers next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
I think this one falls in line with uh, some of our Chad Morris discussions. Uh, Pete, the question comes from Rach09. PJ Fleck always seems like a great fit at Minnesota, and it obviously worked out for the program. Which former group of five coach that was supposed to be a, quote, perfect fit for Power Five ended up being the biggest bust? Which group of five coach now is a perfect fit for a Power Five school that could make a change in the next few years? Well, this is a thinker. Huh. Yeah, I should have should have prepped for this one a little bit. Um, let's see. Who are some recently flamed out Power Five coaches? I mean, Chad Morris. Yeah, but I was Chad Morris a perfect fit for Arkansas? They were talking like it was. I know they were talking like it was, but I feel like they passed up the perfect fit for Arkansas to hire Chad Morris. The part of it that was the perfect fit quote was the East Texas roots. That was the part of it that was supposed to be like the thing that really tied this all together. Former East Texas high school coach that can get in there and really, you know, like the like the state of Texas on fire with with Arkansas enthusiasm. And and he I mean, to 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 Chad Morris's credit, and it wasn't all just Texas recruiting, but he did recruit well. I don't know that it was ever quite like the classes were never quite as strong as. I think Arkansas fans thought they were, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. they were they were rec- like some of these like highly regarded guys were sometimes the guys that weren't takes at the bigger name schools on their offer list. And so I think that perhaps inflated things a little in the minds of Arkansas fans sometimes, but uh, but he did do a good job and I think a commendable job uh, on the recruiting trail. So that that might have been the the missing you know, sort of the, the perfect fit title. And hopefully I um, was able to talk long enough to give you guys a chance to think of some others. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not done, but like, and it's not going to be biggest bust because I truly believe it won't flame oh, out. Oh, I know where you're going. Scott Frost. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I was going through the list. I had the same kind of thought. Like I just, I, there is still a lot of time left for us to to go back but if we're talking about group of five coaches that looks like a perfect fit and right now at this moment things do not seem perfect and i would call attention not just to the immediate results but tom you mentioned this before on the podcast recently if you go and you like read some of the articles from the reporters that are around all the time the vibes are not good in lincoln right now about the future no they're i mean it's there's a whole there's like an identity crisis in a lot of ways for Nebraska fans where their things have been down for too long and they're starting to wonder if maybe this is just what it is now and there are also I think there's some regret over oh man maybe maybe Pelini was doing as good a job as possible for us because I don't know if I believe that's the case I still think Nebraska could be up I mean if Minnesota is able to compete for Big Ten West title this year and possibly a Big Ten title. I still think Nebraska can, and I still think that Scott Frost could, you know, turn this thing around. Like you said, there's still plenty of time to go, but I just think that Nebraska fans and they're going, th- they're going through it right now. Yeah, that is like that's funny to think about Nebraska fans harking back to the good old Bo Pelini days. Sorry, funny. That's that's a that's a bad that's a bad way of phrasing it. But it's 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 just uh, it's a cruel twist. It's, it's, yeah, it's a cruel twist. It's a cool cruel twist. Yeah. 
Uh, Guam Hokey asks... Where's he from? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would guess Guam, and I guess he likes Virginia Tech. Tell me about recruiting ceilings. Is it purely financially driven or is it brand driven? How can a good program raise its recruiting profile? And of course, I will, Barton, I will let you take first stab at this one. That's actually low key, like a great question. Yeah. Like is, is, um, who's an example? I don't know. Is Wisconsin capable of raising its recruiting ceiling from a top 25 class to a top five class regularly? I don't know if it's, I don't know how possible that is. And I'm not not even sure if I have a good answer for that. I'm sorry that I don't, but I kind of like that question. And it's maybe something I need to think about more. But um, I I think there's there's an element of just brand recognition. Just grew up with, like when when I grew up in my room, I had like, like my two closet doors and my two uh, my two bedroom doors had I think I had Miami, Kentucky, Florida State and like Michigan I think were the four programs that I had like painted on the doors. And that I mean, those are just that's just I mean I I I'm, I was from Nashville and those are just the schools that I thought were cool. And the the idea that like that's basically what recruiting is to a degree. It's just who ha- who has the best brand recognition, who sold the most starter jackets back in the day, and when kids get the chance to grow up and, and sort of live out their dreams, like where, where, where does the vibe feel right? And I, I think there is probably, if, if, if you're going to change recruiting ceiling, it's probably something that has to take place really slowly really incrementally over an, over an extended period of time. Like I think right now we're, we're seeing the, I mean, Clemson's probably the best example of someone that has just absolutely changed neighborhoods, just up upgraded. Um, and it's taken the whole Dabo tenure. And, and even before that, because Clemson could still get some guys even before Dabo was the head coach, they could get a, a guy here or there. But I think it's been a slow grind to this point, and it's been on-field success. Now, all of a sudden, kids have got Clemson painted on their, their closet door um, that aren't from South Carolina. And I think it takes that sort of slow grind to, to, change, to change what a ceiling is. I think that was a very good answer, Barton, even though you, you felt like you were uh, – that's because it's, it's not purely financial. And that's like the, the counter to it that it is brand and that it is more about a, a more sort of influence, abstract, like more marketing like type uh, angle to this because if it were purely financially driven, then um, like does Texas A&M have top five classes every year? They got right now. They have top ten classes. Every now year, they got but, top ten classes. But yeah. the the point being, but, no, that, but yeah, that's I guess your point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. At, at Texas A and M, the financials and the resources are endless. I mean, it just it overflows with the amount of money that is being spent. But the Texas A and M brand hasn't won championships in decades, and so unless you have a family member that is uh, a Texas A&M fan, or unless you are from a Texas A&M family, you might not be attracted 
to the Texas A&M brand, even though they've got all the money in the world and all the resources in the world, because the Texas A&M brand is that you're still running in second place to somebody. Like if you're either running in second place to Texas or in the SEC, you're running in second place to Alabama or LSU. And now they've gone to get a coach who is widely regarded as one of the best closers on the recruiting trail in college football because the brand itself is not going to be able to to get it to that championship level. And so they've gone to get a coach that has won a championship where that's essentially the Jimbo brand. Like the way that you could raise a recruiting ceiling, I think in a fast way has to be with a head coach. The recruiting yeah. ceiling of USC changes if they get Urban Meyer. Big yeah. time. Well, and, and I think an, uh, a great example of this is, look, I don't – LS that that LSU could ever not recruit at a top five level is is hard to imagine uh, because of what they've done under Les Miles and now at Ogeron, but that is less about because they haven't always recruited a top five level. But the reason that that ceiling is there is because Louisiana is such a unique state based on how much talent is there and how ingrained and programmed people are to love and believe in the Tigers. And if you go to the Louisiana State Championships in the Superdome, where they have, whatever, two days and ten games, and of those of those 20 teams in ten games, there's going to be eight of them that their colors are purple and gold and their mascots the Tigers. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. And, and, that's, and like that right there is exactly why LSU is one of the best jobs in college football because you have this you have this fire hose of enthusiasm that you just have to make sure you know how where to point it and how to and how to manage it and if you do that's what builds a ceiling and so some Oklahoma state is never going to have that like it's, no matter how much T Boone Pickens pours into the school it's not going to have that and and so there is some level of just ingrained ceiling that that schools have that can be adjusted but it's still there tom i feel like i no i mean there's not much to add to it although i will say that lsu like what the situation you brought up is kind of like a soccer club in europe then barton in that they have their team but then they've also got the under 21 team the under 18 team the under 17 team 16 15 all in the academy so like louisiana high schools are pretty much academies for lsu football oh yeah I mean, it's uh, Tigers over Saints. It's one of the. It's got to be one of the only places in the country where everyone's going to take the Tigers. Like everyone's going to take the college team over the pro team if they had to choose one. I sat in uh, Ed Ogeron's office a couple years ago, and I was doing a story on him. uh, You know, was that was after the the interim year, and uh, and he said that he was like everybody on here's got Tiger as a mascot. I never seen a Tiger walk around Louisiana. (laughs) there's a reason for that yeah so there's my adult impression (laughs) Dylan oh Todd (laughs) yeah (laughs) man I mean it it took me a couple because we of course record that show it is instant reaction but it took a couple days and it took like Joe Burrow picking up his phone and like tweeting, I love you, Louisiana, after we find out later, like the 
the team that had like gotten back for the welcome back cheering him and him, you know, him and Clyde Edwards, a running down and giving everybody high fives. Uh, just sort of as the, the Edo, the coach video from the locker room. It took, it took a while for all that to sort of settle in where I was like, man, that game really was like, uh, that was, that was probably one of those like legend games where if you were, an LSU student or if you were like one of the LSU fans that made it to Bryant Denny, or if you were, you know, an LSU student who was watching at a, a, a big watch party somewhere in Baton Rouge, like I'm sure that night in Baton Rouge was absolutely epic. Like that's uh that was, that was a legendary night for LSU football. Mm-hmm. So where were you, where were you when? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I right. was at home watching <laughs> Illinois come back to beat Michigan state. No. <laughs> Woo! Uh, Dylan and Nick have similar questions. They're both fun, so I'm going to sort of run through them real quick. Dylan, since it looks like the NCAA football game is returning, I'd like to hear you guys talk about what new additions and or features you would like to see, or you can just tell me some stories about your favorite parts of the game. And then Nick asks, when the inevitable happens and NCAA football comes back to the console, what mid-tier group of five programs are you running in order to win a national title in year one? Uh, I would say that a change I would like to make is that while I enjoy the recruiting aspect of doing the dynasty, the last few years, it got a little too involved where it's like, you know, you, you spend 45 minutes playing a game and then you have to spend another 45 minutes recruiting before you could play the next game. Maybe change that up. So it's not that involved. Barton. I hadn't played it. I hadn't played it, um, recent enough to experience that side of it um i will say this though when when i was in college and we would play that game i would i would recommend this when the game returns this was we had a lot of fun with this we'd get together and we would um just randomly select two teams didn't matter who it was could have been uh ohio state versus eastern michigan whatever you just randomly have the computer select two teams and then we would set a betting line and we would gamble with each other on these games and let the computer simulate it. So we would literally just be sitting there on the couch watching, watching the simulation, simulation yeah. between two teams and we're betting on the line. And I swear it was unbelievable how good we could do at set, at make the how cl- accurately we could make the line. It would o- almost always come down to late in the fourth quarter. And so it was, <laughs> it was fun. Like that's a, that is a very, highly encouraged activity if you enjoy gambling that's awesome uh I w- tom do you know what my my recruiting process in some of the later year games was i would not at all worry about uh trying to spread out my recruiting points because who cares about fit when they're all like i don't know you know, when it's not actually real humans, you know, (laughs) like, like I just, I would pick, uh, I would say, okay, these are the top five players on my recruiting board. I am only going to recruit these five players until they either commit or freeze me out. And then I go to the next one. And then I go to the next one because there's so many JUCOs and like late in the game gems that you can uncover that you could still build out a class. And again, who cares about fit? It's a video game. 
So I did, that was the way I sped through the recruiting process was instead of painstakingly scouting a lot and uh, casting a wide net, I start very, very narrow and then slowly build out the class from there. And uh, my group of five program recently, Pip Chatterson II, which was the, the most recent coaching dynasty, did start at ECU. I like to start at ECU if possible. We haven't had a version of the game that has App State yet, but if it comes back out, I'll probably start there. And uh, in my offense, uh, we we go multiple and we run the ball a lot. And if you can't stop me from getting six yards per carry, well, then we're going to have 30 rushes and three passes in a game. <laughs> uh, as far as which G5 team I would be, I don't know. Whoever the worst one is at the time, probably the team that wins the bottom 25 the year before the game comes out. And then we would run, yeah, mostly option offenses. Not not straight triple option, wishbone type stuff, but a lot of option, a lot of read option, and a whole lot of that kind of stuff because the linebackers in the game have the greatest hands ever. Yeah. Too many interceptions. No. So we're just going to run the ball. We're going to take care of the ball. We're going to play some defense. And uh, that's another little suggestion. Don't let the linebackers be so good at catching. And also, back to recruiting, when I am at Texas State or UTEP, I win – recruiting battles against Texas a little too easily. (laughs) (laughs) Not realistic. Yeah, the game does have that built-in recognizing that the user is a little bit too good. So if even putting the ball in the air in NCAA football against the CPU with a 20-point lead feels like a 50-50 chance at an interception. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you got to watch out. Game's going to get you. Hey, y'all ask, and and that's what you get. Uh, All right. Zimbonwe says, I'm 25. If I live to see 80, will I see a Notre Dame championship? Or do they really have disadvantages that will keep them from doing so? Yeah, of course you could. What, what is the math there? 55 years? 55 years. Well, let's Notre Dame see. will win a national championship in the next 55 years. For I kind of sure. can't even believe... Do you... I, do you really think that they're that disadvantaged that they won't win a national championship in 55 years? It's been 32 since they won their last one. Well, they're due. Come any day. Are you playing roulette right now? Like, oh, boy, I'll tell you what. I haven't seen 21 yet. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that look, when you say that, it's been 32 years, that is a little bit eye-opening, but I still, I mean, I just, wow. I, I would bet on, I would bet they got a championship in them in 55 years. I would bet that they do. And it's because, like, unlike uh, Minnesota has some national championships from what, the 30s or 40s, right? Something, I mean, this, the, there is a level of if you were winning uh, championships before, um, like, like if you were winning championships in the 40s and, and the 50s and even the 60s and, and maybe even into, into the 70s, then, you know, that I believe that that was just a different, uh, a different college football world and a different college football landscape. But what Notre Dame does have, even though if it's been 30 plus years since its last championship, Notre Dame's at least been there. Notre Dame, Notre Dame's at least been in the college football playoff. It's been in the BCS National Championship game. It's played in... Uh, some of the elite bowl games as a 10-win team. So my bet on Notre Dame winning in the next 55 years 
is not is a because of the, its history and the brand. Like no matter what football is, because if you want to take it into the like sci-fi futuristic, like who knows what fo- college football looks like? But whatever college football looks like, Notre Dame will be committed to competing in it and trying to compete at a high level. And so I will say yes, Notre Dame will win a national championship before our friend Zimbabwe turns eighty. So I think when you look at, I mean, it's about coaching. Notre Dame has a national championship ceiling. Do I mean? You just said you basically agree with that, but I I don't know if anyone would disagree with that. Maybe maybe that's the whole point of the question: is do they have a a, a ceiling that precludes them from winning national titles? But the Bob Davey, Tyrone Willingham, Charlie Weiss run of coaches, I don't think gave us a coach that was capable of winning a national title. I don't think those guys were ever going to win a national title. Um, the Brian Kelly era, I, I, I'm not convinced Brian Kelly will win a national title, but I am convinced he is a good coach for Notre Dame because he's going to have them close. And so they're going to be competitive in the, in the entirety of the Brian Kelly tenure. When that tenure is up, I think it has to hire someone that prioritizes recruiting enough to get them over that final hurdle that Kelly has brought them to. Does that make sense? Mm. Urban Meyer it is. Yeah. Um, all right. This was a... Uh... Do you think, and these these are some older questions, but I want to, since since we're on the topic, um, Dogs on Top and old Hanky G have both asked, will Notre Dame join a conference within the next 10 years? Uh, and if, you, if they do, where do you think they will join? Mm, this is really hard to answer because, no, they probably won't, but who the hell knows what this sport's going to look like in 10 years? Who the hell knows what conferences are even going to exist in 10 years? Who the hell knows if the power five doesn't just break off at some point and form its own league within the next 10 years. So I would say that based on what we know now, no, Notre Dame has never wanted to join a conference. Notre Dame has never really looked to join a conference. It kind of got dragged kicking and screaming into the ACC for its non-football sports just because it had to, because it has to have a home for them to, you know, be able to spend money and pay for them. But no. Yeah, go ahead. It, as Notre Dame joining a conference ruins Notre Dame because what makes Notre Dame viable is that it's a national program. And if you're playing nine, eight, nine games a year in the ACC or the Big Ten or wherever the hell they join, they don't get to go to California anymore. They don't get to go to Texas anymore. So it's no, they don't join a conference. I would assume the same, but I, I, this is admittedly not my sweet spot. The conference realignment politics uh, and of the sport is not I don't I don't possess the expertise but it doesn't seem like they would if Notre Dame joins a conference before the 2033-2034 academic year it is contractually obligated to join the ACC there you go there's there there's some good college I, sports business info yeah that's that is like I don't think that that's going to be and uh I spoke with uh oh man boy this this sounds real cocky. I spoke with John Swafford actually about it in July. And uh, and he's ACC's perfectly fine with its 
agreement because Notre Dame, its other Olympic sports also have a really good brand. Like it adds a bunch of credibility Mm -hmm. to have Notre Dame in uh, all of its, the other sports as a full ACC member. And then you get like five or six games a year, which provides an opportunity like this past weekend where Duke football, listen, David Cutcliffe has done worlds to improve that program and its competitiveness on the field. But Duke football still does not pack out its stadium. But when Notre Dame comes, that is a that is a good opportunity. So the the ACC views the partial membership as a win win. And should Notre Dame look to join a conference before twenty thirty four, it's going to be the ACC. And I think that leverage is part of what makes the ACC treat Notre Dame with a like, hey, take as much time as you need, baby. But if you want to come home, you're coming to our house. <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see sam says and this is a specific one for barton barton somebody who has had some of your your favorite high school highlights since reggie bush mm. wow uh so i'm a i'm a defensive guy by nature uh so i, I lean towards those guys i'm just thinking back and and Last week, I feel like I sort of dug into this a little bit, but I was unsatisfied with the answers I came up with. Um, but, I mean, Reuben Foster and Rashawn Evans are, are a couple guys that come to mind as just big-time strikers that got me excited. Um, I was a big Jalen Smith fan, the Notre Dame linebacker. But, I mean, Noel Devine is the GOAT. Yes, yes, yeah, you know, I mean, yes. That's, that's the GOAT. Uh, as far as highlight film goes, but uh, yeah, I need to. I, I should. I should probably have my own Hall of Fame kind of teed up, ready for those sort of questions. But there, there's that's just so many to think about. No, nah, Noel Devine's a good answer. Uh, there was also some questions about. You have referenced the book Range, and I wanted to. Con- I wanted to pass that along to the listeners because uh, I think there was a tweet and also uh, a question in the reviews. Five star question. Uh, asking about the title of the book. The book is Range, correct? Yeah, Range by David Epstein. It's about basically sort of uh, how exposure to multiple um, different avenues and different experiences uh, can create a more uh, talented person, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. But um, have you read that, Tom? Yep, about being a generalist in a specialized world. That's right. It's a, it's, I, I love the book and, and, and we, you know, we should start, it sounds like we got some, some, some bookies on, uh, in our, in our listenership, start giving them some book or book, uh, recs. Off season book club. What's peak. It's by Anders Ericsson. It's about determined practice. No, oh, it's a good one too. You should read that. All right. That's good. That's look at this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that. I'm in the middle of atomic habit right now. Ooh, what's that? It's, it's just basically about how to build like habits, how to build good habits and, and how it, that, that can be incremental uh, returns that can compound and create uh, better lifestyles, basically. Cool. Ooh. I think I'm, I'm into this. I think, I think we, got, we go cover three book club in the off season. I love it because I'm always looking for good books and I, I hate to just sort of try to like dig around on the – so I always ask people who read what their favorites are so I can, so I can dig in. 
All right, we'll get into it. Uh, if your mailbag question did not get answered here, it has been recorded, and I promise we'll come back to it. Thank you to those of you who continue to, uh, to to turn in the questions. Remember, the way that you can get a question into a Mailbag Monday show, you go, you leave a five-star rating, you leave a review, and you include your question, and that's how you show up on a Mailbag Monday. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!